Let's turn for our study this evening to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. The outlines there without any blanks in it, so it's all complete in the back on the back of the bulletin. <clears throat> and we got the middle of the way through verses 1 to 10 last week, thinking of the king's resurrection and the great consolation for his servants. We looked at the attendants at the tomb who turned up. It began to dawn on the first day of the week in, in another portion while it was yet dark. They were without electricity, but they were there. <laughs> and they, were, they turned up, the ladies at the tomb. And <clears throat> we saw the angel at the tomb, as we were in the middle of the ground there was convulsed the earthquake the grave was conquered and the guards were confounded in verses 3 through to 4 <clears throat> these were no chickens these guards but they certainly were shaken by what the events of that day and as we said last week, the women were not shaken like the gods were shaken because they were believers. <laughs> it makes a difference. And with all the tragedies that are happening around the world, Christians, don't be shaken. <laughs> we have faith in God, don't we? And he's going to bring, going to bring about his purposes. And uh, even in our own country, we pray that God would bring about his purposes in all the things that are happening, the sad things that are happening. You know, some... Have, has mentioned, I just saw this afternoon, that there's been $500 million donated to help the people, victims of the fires. That's half a billion dollars. That's pretty good, isn't it? From a country our size, that that much would be given. Huh. And that's a lot. So praise the Lord, we live in a country like this, that <clears throat> the, the people's hearts are, are touched by these things. So we see the radiance of the angel in verses 2 to 4. We come tonight to verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! <laughs> and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the record of this occasion when our Saviour was raised from the dead and testified to those who were faithful followers of his. Lord, we thank you that maybe they couldn't grasp everything at that moment, but certainly as we look and read, we are, our faith is in a risen Saviour. He is not here. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And we know that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding at this time even on our behalf. And thank you, Lord, for our great high priest. 
Bless as we consider and become excited and joyful at the thought of the resurrection, the wonderful fact that we can study this here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> His reassurance, that is the reassurance of the angel. Why, why did the angel say, fear not? Well, because they were fearful. <laughs> Although they weren't falling down as dead men, as the soldiers did. He, the angel, knew by intuition that these people were fearful. Wouldn't you be? If, if an angel turned up and you weren't expecting that, you were come to put spices and things on the body of the Lord Jesus. And here these, this angel is there, brightly shining angel. Fear not. Um, <clears throat> he knew that they were fearful at times. And even seeing the guards' reaction to the angel's presence would have filled them with some fear. And what did the angel suggest here in verse 6? Take a look for yourself. He is not here. The empty tomb, the greatest proof that Christianity has that others have not, is an empty tomb. All the leaders of all the other religions have got a tomb <laughs> or a missing individual. But we know where he is. He's told us he's gone back to heaven. He's to it's in the scriptures that he's on the right hand of the Father as we just prayed. And so this gives authenticity to ourselves as Christians that others do not have. If only the disciples had listened to the Lord Jesus. How many times? I don't know. I haven't gone through an encounter. How many times did he, did he tell them that he was going to die? Is going to be buried and it's going to rise again. <laughs> but you see, we, we can get in, we can do the same thing in our spiritual lives. We can lock in on something and can be one, one on a one way street or a like a railroad, railroad, straight tracks. But they couldn't think out of what they were thinking, what they wanted, actually, what they wanted. They couldn't think outside of that. What did the disciples want? We see it through, through the Gospels. Every Gospel points this out. The disciples wanted Jesus to be king over the world. Now. <laughs> I don't want to wait. I want it now. <laughs> but the Lord Jesus was saying, no, it's not going to be now. And he kept on emphasizing, I'm going to die. And, and, and Peter's violent reaction almost. <laughs> he said to the Lord, how dare you say you're going to die? You're not going to die. <laughs> I'm going to defend you. And he, even when it came to another occasion, he pulled out the sword to do that and defend you know, the Lord Jesus. You know, you're not going to take it. Well, yes, it's going to be this way. <laughs> but if only they had listened to the Lord Jesus and the things that he'd said about his death, burial and resurrection. Instead of being hiding in some corner or some room somewhere, they could have been at the court. Now, Peter and John was there and Peter was, was there at standoff. Peter was in denial, wasn't he? He denied the Lord three times. They were there, but the others could have all been there if they believed what Jesus had said. And folks, we need to believe what the Bible says and know that it's going to happen as he said it will happen. And we look forward to that. The promises of God a lot of times are what keeps the Christian going, what keeps our faith and our hope in him. And that is even the resurrection and the coming translation of the saints. They could have been at the court. They could have been at the crucifixion. But none of them, as far as we know, but John was at the crucifixion. The women were there. 
at that. They could have witnessed the resurrection. They could have had what we have sometimes. Well, we used to have Easter camps. We had Youthquake to start with about 50 years ago, and then we had Easter camps. Even at Murrindindi, we've had an Easter camp. I know there we've had um, on Sunday morning, they, we, all get, we all got up before sunrise, and, and what, what were we celebrating? What were we remembering? We were remembering the time that the Lord was raised. When the sun, sun rose, they could have been there and witnessed. Well, I don't know if you would see him come out. <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt it because he came through. The, the, the stone would have been there. The angel rolled it out. It didn't need to roll the stone away for the Lord to come out. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> they could have been there witnesses of the resurrection. But they weren't, were they? And the, the angel is here is giving reassurance to the ladies that were there. Now to all the apostles could say, ponder the empty tomb. They could say that to the Greeks. They could say that to the Jews. They could say that to the Sanhedrin. They could say it to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. Look at the empty tomb. They could say it to the poor and the rich. There is an empty tomb. He is risen. He is not here. They could say it to the bond and free. Let's turn to the book of Acts and see when... Pentecost happened, what happened to the disciples? What did they preach? Well, who was the first preacher on the day of Pentecost? It was Peter, of course, Peter. <laughs> who else would stand up as Peter always stood up and said his peace? <laughs> well, I think the Lord was leading him, wasn't he here? And he said, this unlearned and ignorant man... Put this together under inspiration of the Spirit of God. In verse 22 of chapter 2 of Acts, he said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So here's all these people. And there were unbelieving people there because they were saying these people, these apostles are drunk. They said that. They were accusing them of being drunk. So there was unsafe people present on this occasion. You know this. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so God knew it was going to happen. God used you to make it happen, but you're guilty. <laughs> That's what he said. To whom God or whom God hath raised up. What is Peter preaching? This is his first sermon. What is he preaching about? The resurrection, the hope of the resurrection. He has raised, God has raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, moreover my flesh also shall rest in hope. What's all this about? The resurrection. Even David pointed this out when he was on earth. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Gone into the fourth day, that would have been the case, but it was only three days. And David was testifying of resurrection. Peter's sermon is all around the resurrection. This is the hope we have. It's all... Involved, if Christ was not raised, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, what does it say? We are of all men 
most miserable. That's what he said. We're most miserable people if Christ has not raised. Peter's preaching it here. Thou hast made known to me, in verse 28, the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Brethren, or men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us to this day. And to even today, if you go over there. Down on the southeast, south side of the city, that you can go and visit David's sepulchre. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Resurrection, resurrection. He's pointing this out. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Thus, Oh, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are witnesses. This is a sermon that Peter is preaching, being at the right hand of God. And he's pointing it out that you crucified him. He was put in the grave by you, but he has been raised from the dead. And I think the sermon should be based on that, should they not? <laughs> Our sermon should be based around the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it reads, But now is Christ risen from the dead. Paul had been saying, If he wasn't raised, we are most miserable and we're liars. If he has been raised, and he has been raised, but now is Christ raised from the dead, we've got something to talk about. We've got something to preach. This is the heart of the gospel. Well, turn to it. In 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul expanded and expanded, explain the resurrection that's the chapter in the bible that speaks much of it notice what he said in the early verses of chapter 15 <clears throat> moreover brethren i declare unto you the gospel which i preach this is the essence this is the substance of the gospel which also ye have received and in which you stand by which also ye are saved if you keep in memory what i have preached unto you unless ye are believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, and seen of 500 brethren at once, as he goes on, seen of James, of the apostles, and seen in verse 8 of me also as one born out of due time. Death, burial, and resurrection is the essence of the gospel if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died, was buried, and rose again. If we confess that, we're his children. It's not some confession that man has made up. This is what God has given here. And so <clears throat> this is the message that the apostles went out from with great excitement to preach. In Romans 10.9 it reads that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, what does it say? What's the next phrase? That God hath raised him from the dead. <laughs> resurrection. The resurrection. We serve a risen saviour, not one in the tomb. This news of the resurrection would have sent shudders through the Sanhedrin. This message of the resurrection would put the Sanhedrin on the back foot, 
if they were not already on the back foot. I've got down here, this message of the resurrection would have given them the willies. I don't know if there's a strange statement, but... <laughs> oh, no. Everything we feed has come to pass. Isn't that so? That's the way they would have been caught off guard. It caught them off guard. <laughs> this news would have given his followers and did give his follow followers light in darkness. Confidence in their confession. Boldness in their belief. Doggedness in their duty. <laughs> I mean, they were like a fox terrier dog with a bone. No, no. <laughs> Let's even enlarge that. We had little fox terriers. We had bigger dogs too on the farm. But we had Nip and then we had Spud. And the next one was Spike. <laughs> they all seemed to die a traumatic death. And one of them, I think it was Spud, was the one. He, he, he happened to be on the, at Akron, at the farm there. And there was two bigger dogs, Snicker and someone else. I can still remember the dogs' names. <laughs> Snicker and another big one. And they chased this kangaroo and went into the big top dam, the big, the big dam. Some have seen that. It's pretty, about five acres big in surface. And um, <clears throat> the two big dogs just stood on the edge of the water. Woof, woof. So, but what did Spud do? <laughs> Tenaciously, and this is what the apostles were like, I'm going to get that kangaroo and swam out to him. That was the end of Spud. Because <laughs> the kangaroo just got him and held him under. And a traumatic death. <laughs> and the other one died from a tiger snake bite. And the other one, I saw him, was at Emerald. The first one. <laughs> There's these three Alsatians come running through in front, past the front door, the neighbour's dogs. And he belted out the door and grabbed one by the throat. And he's only he's a miniature fox terrier. And I thought, that's tenacity. That's what Christians need. <laughs> this, is what the, this is what the disciples had when they got the news of the resurrection. What, what do we tend to do? We tend to back off, don't we? We tend to be scared to talk about it. <clears throat> but it's truth. It's eternal reality. <laughs> and I pray that we understand that. And we have the Lord present with us when we preach. Victory over defeats. These disciples went out. Courage in their convictions. Strength in their weakness. If one does not believe this glorious truth, it's not because they cannot, it's because they will not. The Sanhedrin was the will nots. We will not believe it, no matter how the reality is put before us. And as Peter preached in that sermon at, uh, at Pentecost, you know, you've seen these things that he did. You've seen the miracles. You know about the resurrection. You're trying to cover it up. Won't work. <clears throat> and um, we, we go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Go quickly, said this angel. So remember that verse, verse 6. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The angel said, invitation, it's empty. He's not here. Of course he's raised. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen. They should have been there. <laughs> he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And so it's the revelation of verse 7. What did the angel reveal to them and request of them? Well, you know... <laughs> Go quickly, tell the disciples. He goes before you into Galilee. Where were the disciples? What were they doing? What had happened to them? 
Well, let's turn to Zechariah and see what was prophesied to happen to them. In Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man who is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd. That's the, that's the death and burial of the Lord Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep. And the sheep shall be scattered. That's what happened to the disciples. They were scattered as prophesied. And I'll turn my hand upon the little ones. <clears throat> if you go back to Matthew chapter 26, a little bit earlier than where we are in chapter 28, and go 26 verse 3. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people, That's not the verse. It's verse 32. Just add a number. Yes, but after I am risen again, the Lord Jesus said this, I will go before you into Galilee. This he said before and it told them. But they were all dispersed. They were hiding. They were away where they shouldn't have been. In fact, one of them was dead, Judas. One was under the guilt of denial, weeping bitterly, maybe still, beat Peter. They were living in fear. They were cringing and confused. And the angel told them there to go there, as we read in verse 32, into Galilee. Galilee is a special place. When you go to Israel, if you go to Israel, go to Galilee. Um, the freshwater sea of Galilee. That's really the only lake other than the man-made ones they've got there of fresh water. And this is where the Lord ministered on the west side is where he centred his ministry. It was the crossroads of civilization. They all come through that part. And uh, the Lord in just a bit west was Nazareth where he's raised, but his ministry was centred in Galilee, Caponium and other places along the Sea of Galilee there. It started in Galilee. The Lord grew up in this area. He called many of his disciples there because they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. He did most of his miracles around this place. Greatest sermons that he preached, his messages were there. And he, he actually got out on a boat at, on occasions and preached messages from a boat off the Sea of Galilee. And now he's commanding them to go and he'll meet them in an old familiar place. You know what it's like to go to an old familiar place you used to go to when you were a lot younger, <laughs> and, and go around the old, the old stomping grounds or whatever you call them, <laughs> and, remember, and all the memories that come back. And I think the Lord had reason to say, go back to Galilee. Go back and remember all the things that happened around there. Remember all the miracles. Remember the sermons. And I'll meet you as a res resurrected saviour at that place and uh, inspire them <laughs> to go on and minister. And it, it did something because look at Peter preaching boldly like he did at Pentecost. And so the request, <coughs> you see the revelation and the response in, in verse 8 back there in Matthew. And lo, they departed quickly from the sepulchre. Always good to do what you're told straight away <laughs> and quickly. With fear and great joy. So the response, they departed quickly with fear and joy. A mixture of emotions, those two. <laughs> we can have joy, as it says in scripture, in trials. We can have joy in the harvest time. Isaiah 9 verse 3. The farmers know about that. 
joy in harvest. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, we have joy in the expectation of one day seeing him. Joy in expectation. Romans 15, 13. Joy and peace in believing on the Lord Jesus. Joy and peace in believing. In Luke chapter 15, there's joy over a soul that is saved. Now, this joy we ought to have in our Christian life, even though the circumstances don't seem to bring it on. Isaiah, I'm turning to this one, Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. <clears throat> Old Testament, speaking of joy, 35 verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Who's willing to sing it for us? I know some of you know it from a long, long time ago. No, thank you. <laughs> I didn't mean it as a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> you can hum it <laughs> if you know the tune there from a long time ago, but that's been put to music. And it's speaking about the nation of Israel. They shall come and return with singing. Folks, we have the wonderful prospect of seeing him and the joy that will be and the songs that will be when we come to Zion heavenly sign let's think about that let's consider that in our sorrows and sufferings let's consider the joy of our salvation <clears throat> what does it say in the Old Testament the joy of the Lord is their strength the joy of the Lord is their strength pray it's your strength <clears throat> there's joy after sorrow in John's gospel 16 Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. It means delight. It means gladness. Happiness comes from happenings. Joy comes from Jesus. True, lasting joy. And you can be happy about a happening, but that'll fade. Joy doesn't fade because Jesus is eternal. <clears throat> Just There's never enough time on all these, let's finish it. Verse 9 and 10, the appearing near the tomb <coughs> of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't directly at the tomb, but as they were on their way, they, in verse 9, went to, the women went to tell his disciples as they were instructed, behold, Jesus met them, saying, no, he met them in the way. There's another verse that says that. It's not this one. <coughs> Joy, Jesus meets us in the way. He doesn't meet the idle people who are not on the way. Get in the way of the Lord. Do his will. And he met them on the way there, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. When we obey the light we have, we have, as these ladies did, we are given more light. That's God's way. And until you pass the test, you can't be given new curriculum for your Christian life. We might like to see a bright shining light as uh, they'd seen the angel. A and many folk today want to see something to believe. Show me and I'll believe, you know. 
Let an angel turn up and I'll believe. These ladies didn't ask for that. They got it. <laughs> but they, what they were more content with, rather than seeing the angel and the light and that radiated from him, his, his raiment was white as snow, they came to the feet of Jesus. They wanted not to see a light in the sky or you know, some revelation that they specially got. They weren't seeking that at all. They were seeking the Lord. Far better to seek the Lord, is it not? For to see the Lord is to see the light. <laughs> like Zacchaeus. I just mentioned these. <clears throat> I'd hope to look them all up. But Zacchaeus in Luke 19 verse 3. The saying that comes from that for me is, He sought to see Jesus. And I've got a whole poem about it. It all starts with S. <laughs> and seeking Jesus, he climbed a sycamore tree and he got up there and uh, we had a sycamore tree on the farm so I know what it looks like. And he got up in one of the limbs and he looked down to see the Lord passing by. The Lord knew he was up in the sycamore tree. <laughs> but he sought to see Jesus. And we need to seek to seek to see Jesus as Zacchaeus did. He ran and climbed the sycamore tree. Um, like the Greeks in John's Gospel 12, verse 20 to 22, they said to Philip, Sirs, what did they say? We would see Jesus. That's what these ladies, that's who they saw. Like Christians should in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6. Seek to see the Lord. Seek to see Jesus. And like John saw Jesus in Revelation 1, 12 to 18, he was obedient and following the Lord, and suffering for the Lord, but he was always seeking the Lord Jesus. Better to see the Lord than anything and anyone else in your life. Seek to see what he's doing. James and John and Peter saw Jesus, as it says in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Paul saw Jesus, and shone, a light shone about him on the road to Damascus. And John the Baptist, as the Lord Jesus was coming down to the river Jordan and John was baptizing, he looked up and he said what? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Seek to see Jesus. Seek to see him at all times. In, from cover to cover of the Bible, we can seek to see Jesus. And we do see Jesus, typified, prophesied, identified and crucified, glorified and magnified. The book is about him. Let me read one of Don Jennings, who preached in Australia 40, about 41 years ago. And he was poetic. I think he put these poems together. Here's a poem in Seeking to See the Lord. And he said this, and put it together. I see my Lord in the Bible whenever I chance to look. He is the theme of the Bible, the centre and heart of the book. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily fair. Whenever I open the Bible, the Lord of the Bible is there. He, in the book's beginning, gave to the earth its form. He is the ark of safety to bear the brunt of the storm. The burning bush of the desert, the binding, the budding, sorry, of Aaron's rod, Whenever I open the Bible, I see the Son of God. The Lamb upon Mount Moriah, the ladder 
from earth to sky, the scarlet cord in the window, the serpent lifted high, the smitten rock in the desert, and the shepherd with staff and crook. It is the face of my Lord I discover whenever I look in the book. He is the seed of the woman, the saviour virgin born. He is the son of David whom men rejected to scorn. The Lord of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw, the light of the celestial city, the lamb without spot or flaw, the bridegroom coming at midnight for whom his people look. Yes, whenever I open the Bible, I see the Lord in the book. And may we always see the Lord in the book. When we go to there for devotions or study, who are we looking for? The Lord, the Lord. Let's see the Lord in the book and let's see the Lord as we celebrate his table tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you <clears throat> that these women saw Jesus. They held his feet and worshipped him. And Lord, one day and one day soon, we're all going to see Jesus if we're saved and unsaved. But one is our saviour and one is a judge. Oh Lord, I pray that we'd seek to see you every day in our lives in the circumstances you bring to bear in the book that's before us and that we can meditate upon. Let us see the Lord of the, Lord of the Bible in the book we read and in our lives and in our experience and see how he guides and directs every step of the way. And let us always be thankful that we can worship the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.